All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Again, we thank you for what we celebrate today. Uh, we should celebrate it every day, but especially today, we celebrate freedom. We celebrate the freedom that you have given to us in this country, and this very country itself, even with all of the things that are still wrong with what's going on in it. But Lord, ultimately, we thank you for the freedom that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. That it doesn't matter what's going on in this country or the rest of the world. You have given us the freedom from ourselves, from our sin, from addictions, from chains of darkness, from uh, the powers of hell, from anything any man could do to us in this world. You have given us full and complete freedom. And you have reminded us that our citizenship is not here in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are merely passing through this world on our way to that full uh, land that you have created for us, the new heavens and new earth. We look forward to that. And we know that there will be suffering in this life. And we know that there is a lot of work for, you, for, for us to do from you in this life. So, Lord, I pray that we would be about that work, that we would daily sacrifice ourselves as, as living sacrifices to you, pleasing to you, and do what you want us to do. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2014, a 52-year-old physicist named Johann Westhauser was exploring Germany's deepest cave. While he was exploring it, however, he was struck in the head by a rock and left trapped underground. The cave, named Resending in German, or The Big Thing, you can tell there's a lot of creativity involved in its naming, goes on for 12 miles, and Westhauser was trapped over 3,700 feet underground. Anyone who has claustrophobia, claustrophobia is probably starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable right now, just hearing that. It ended up taking 11 days for the rescue operation to be able to get to Westhauser. The operation was complex because the mouth of the cave was located at the top of a 6,000-foot mountain, and a helicopter could not land on it. Finally, rescuers were able to load Westhauser onto a stretcher and pull him out. In 1992, Gustavo Badillo, a trained diving instructor, was searching for an underground lake in Venezuela with another diving partner when they arrived at a section of water that was impossible to see through. A newspaper at the time reported that the body of water had the consistency of chocolate pudding. Doesn't sound very tasty, though. <laughs> Badillo's partner managed to turn around and get out of it, swimming to safety, but, but, but Badillo was trapped in an air pocket. It was reported that he yelled into the darkness, I am here, and I am alive. But no one heard, and no one came. Badillo was left there in the darkness. On the second day, he contemplated taking his own life. But 36 hours after he was trapped, two American divers had gone into the cave and were able to bring Badillo out. 
And of course, who can forget the famous story of the 2018 Thai cave rescue? At the end of June 2018, five years ago, a Thai youth soccer team and their young coach raced on their bikes after practice up to the Tom Luang cave entrance. They had been in those caves several times before, often for initiation rites to the team, scrawling the names of the new team members on the walls as far as five miles into the caves. They only brought flashlights with them on that trip since they only thought they'd be in there for an hour. An hour ended up stretching to two weeks. July marks the beginning of monsoon season in Thailand, making that cave extremely dangerous and flooding parts of it up to 16 feet high. And it arrived a little early that year. After the boys and their coach had entered the cave, monsoon rains quickly flooded it, making it impossible for them to get back out on their own. After worried family members and members of the soccer organization alerted authorities, several failed attempts were made to rescue the team. A diving coalition made up of divers from Britain, the U.S., Australia, and China finally located the team more than a week after they were trapped. They didn't even know if they were still alive more than a week following uh, the day they left. And miraculously, all were still alive. The problem then was how to get them out of the completely flooded cave system. The boy's coach told them to use stones to dig further into the wall behind the small rock shelf they had been trapped on so they could huddle together in it and stay warm while surviving on the drinkable water that trickled down the cave walls. As the story grabbed the world's attention, divers from all over the world arrived to help with rescue operations, including the U.S. Air Force. The biggest battle in rescuing the team was that floodwaters and strong currents kept forcing those who went into the caves backwards. Losing oxygen by the time divers could reach the team was an ever-present threat, and one of the Thai Navy SEALs ran out of oxygen and died as a result. Finally, two weeks after the team was trapped, the rains that had so relentlessly been hitting the mountain and flooding the caves broke for a little bit. A massive team of rescuers underwent the operation, pulling the boys through the flooded cave tunnels one by one with air masks on through sections only a few feet wide at points, sometimes pulling each boy up steep slopes with winches and other times passing them along a human chain. The whole process of getting the team out took three separate rescue attempts over three entire days. Finally, all 13 members of the team, along with their coach, were successfully rescued. The operation ended none too soon, with the rains returning and the cave threatening to become completely flooded. The last few divers in the cave emerged, the pump that had been used to alleviate the floods in the cave suddenly stopped working and the entire area was completely submerged underwater very soon after that. You could definitely see that God was moving and working throughout that entire process. 
In all of these news stories of true events, all these people were trapped in the darkness with seemingly no hope. They very well could have been lost to uh, and in the darkness forever, but were rescued from that hopeless fate and brought back into the realm of light. In reality, that's the dangerous predicament that every single person who has ever lived has faced, whether or not they've realized it, whether or not they've cared. What has Jesus said about this already? What does he say about it in our passage this morning? And how must that impact and transform our lives now? We spent last Sunday talking about what the Bible says about baptism. And a couple of weeks ago, when we were in our Gospel of John series, we talked about what the hour, that, that term, the hour of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection meant. Winning our salvation from our sins for us, judging the world, its standards and ambitions, and revealing just how absurd they really are, and crushing the power of Satan and his dominion of darkness in this world. Jesus would accomplish all of that by him being lifted up on the cross and making it possible at all to draw people from all tribes, nations, and languages to himself in faith, as we read in verse 32, the last verse of that section two weeks ago. We know what Jesus is getting at here, and the Apostle John points that out for anyone who hasn't picked up what he had laid down in verse 32. 33. So, if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to John chapter 12. We're going to be picking up in verse 33. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John 12:33 or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. But this is what we read. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Like I referenced a couple of weeks ago, this is referencing Jesus' impending crucifixion, where he would be nailed to a cross, that cross would be raised up, and then jarringly dropped into a hole, dug out of the ground to stand it up. There, like the bronze serpent he referenced from Numbers in his conversation with Nicodemus back in John 3, he would be raised up and anyone who would look to him and his death in faith that it would bring them the greatest healing, redemption from sin, would be saved from it. But everyone listening to Jesus at that point, after already having had heard God the Father's declaration thundering from the skies and confirming that Jesus as God the Son had, has, and would do everything in accordance with the Father's will, but misinterpreting it, have a hang-up with what he's just said. Verse 34. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Now where these people are drawing this conclusion from is the Old Testament prophetic passages talking about how a kingdom of the coming Messiah would last forever. 
As noted by one biblical scholar, they most likely have the messianic prophecy of Daniel 7, 13 through 14 in mind, which says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom, so that all the peoples, nations, and populations of all languages might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. See, this is where they got this from. Which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. In the people's mind, they questioned if the Son of Man or Messiah or who this guy keeps claiming himself to be, will have an everlasting dominion, how can he also be predicting his own death? That doesn't make logical sense. Looking back, we can see how they can have a woeful misunderstanding of this. They thought that Jesus' time on earth at that point was also the same time he would usher in the Messianic kingdom. They couldn't conceive of the possibility that that was only the first time Jesus would come to earth. That time to die and rise again from the dead, and then Jesus would return at another time in the future. That time to usher in his everlasting, unpassing away, undestroyable kingdom. Their question of who is this son of man, as pointed out by one biblical scholar, is the people questioning whether or not Jesus is supposed to be one and the same as this prophesied son of man in Daniel. To them, Daniel's son of man wasn't supposed to die. When you read Jesus' response, you might think, He's not actually addressing these people's challenging questions. They seem entirely disconnected. But as one biblical scholar points out, Jesus is not only point-blank addressing their challenging questions, but also directly hitting them where it hurts. We're going to see how and why. The people are referencing messianic prophecy in their misunderstanding of Jesus predicting his imminent death. Now, on the surface, that doesn't seem all that bad. We reference messianic prophecy as Jesus' followers to prove how he fulfilled those prophecies and, in fact, is the true Messiah. But the problem, unbeknownst to them, is that they can only process and challenge Jesus as the eternal king through an intellectual, head-knowledge, mental means. Whereas Jesus responds that that's not their actual problem with their hang-up. What is the people's actual issue that they were blind to that was the basis for their hang-up with Jesus' statements that Jesus directly addresses. Verses 35 through the beginning part of verse 36. So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. 
He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light or daughters of light. Now, what's Jesus getting at here? In connection with our opening illustration, Jesus is once again contrasting darkness and light and walking in the darkness versus believing in the light. This is building upon, this is, this is why understanding biblical verses in the t- context that they're written in and in the overall context of the book they're included in is so important to their accurate understanding. This is building upon what Jesus has already divulged about himself as the light of the world earlier on in this gospel. The Apostle John, through the Holy Spirit, already started off this gospel in the very first chapter. He hits us with this. The very first chapter by referring to Jesus as the light of life. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. The very first time John references this. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it or overcome it. This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. In these intro verses, John lays the foundation that Jesus was the light of God's wisdom who shines in the darkness and is meant to enlighten every person to the wisdom of God And the darkness both couldn't understand it, couldn't grasp it, nor could the darkness overcome it. In his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus revealed that the light was not only the wisdom of God, but the light was also the righteousness and the morality of God versus the evil and immorality of the darkness of this world. He says to Nicodemus, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? For their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds will be revealed as having been performed in God. See, one simply cannot simply stumble into the light of God's wisdom. One cannot discover it by accident. One must repent of the darkness within them and step into the light of Jesus' righteousness. Stepping into the light of Jesus' righteousness and being covered by Jesus' righteousness, therefore, must lead to a desire to live according to Jesus' righteousness. That's the moral foundation. We're all born into sin, and therefore are all born into the darkness by default. Automatically, we're already all born into darkness and sin by default. We can't do anything about that. If we simply continue in that life 
of default automatic darkness, living according to the world's standards, and living in spiritual blindness, and simply doing whatever we want in our sinful humanity, we will simply receive the just judgment and condemnation for remaining in and never stepping out of the darkness. But God, in his love for humanity, was not content to let humanity remain in the darkness of sin, fumbling around in their lostness and blindness. Enter the light of the world into that world. He was not only the embodiment of the light of wisdom of God, but his death and resurrection being the one and only way to be restored to God was also the light of the wisdom of God. Stepping out of the darkness and into the light of Jesus in repentance is what? Is that an intellectual issue or is that a moral issue? That's a moral issue. That's a heart issue. It has nothing to do with this. It has everything to do with this. It is nothing, absolutely nothing to do with intellectualism. It has nothing to do with how smart you are or how smart you think you are. Or are you figuring out by mistake or a Bob Ross happy accident how to get to heaven? It's a moral and a heart problem that one needs to repent of and turn 100% to Jesus for the forgiveness, healing, and restoration from. This is exactly what Jesus expounds upon five chapters later from these verses when he talks to Nicodemus when at the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, this may sound familiar to you, I hope it sounds familiar to you, surrounded by giant menorahs set up in the temple complex and brightly lit torches lining the streets of Jerusalem, Jesus stands up in the temple and declares, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And in direct connection to that subject, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins by default, automatically, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. It's just what will automatically happen to you by default. So what does walking in the light actually mean? Firstly, believing that Jesus is I am, or God, the eternal one. Recognizing that your biggest problem is a moral one. It has nothing to do with intellectualism. Your biggest problem is a moral one. And turning from or repenting from your immorality, accepting Jesus' righteousness into your broke righteousness account, and then following the light of the world and his standards for what that light is for the rest of your days. Walking in the darkness is simply never recognizing that and never stepping out of the darkness, of the blindness, of our sinfulness into the light of Jesus. And fumbling around in that darkness 
all the rest of your days until you die and you spend eternity in the darkness, banishment from the light of God's presence and in weeping and gnashing of teeth. That brings us to the next time Jesus brings up himself as the light in the verses we just read in John 12 a couple of minutes ago. This is why I went through all of what both the Apostle John under the movement of the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself as recorded by that Holy Spirit and John already have said about Jesus as the light of the world and all that that includes. Of course, we already covered all those previous verses much more extensively in the recent past, and we just scratched the surface right now. But knowing all that Jesus as the light of the world, as the embodiment of the wisdom of God, and as the holy and righteous morality of God, and his standards according to his word, we can see what Jesus is getting at here in our passage this morning in John 12, 35 through 36. Jesus first starts out these verses by saying that these people that are challenging him, and indeed the whole world, would only have this light among them for a short while. If you remember from a couple of weeks ago, when we take John with the other synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is saying these words in John 12, 35 and 36 that we just read on the Tuesday afternoon of Holy or Passion Week. So indeed, it would only be two more days, in fact, until he's arrested and then crucified. And indeed, it is truly a short period of time. As noted by one biblical scholar, John would, immediately following these words of Jesus, refer primarily to the Jewish people and Isaiah's prophecy that, in general, their hearts would be hardened to not readily believe in Jesus as, it, as their salvation nor Messiah. We'll get to that next week. So here in verses 35 and 36, in context, especially as Jesus' audience is primarily Jewish, he's warning his fellow Jewish people. In other words, Jesus is saying, believe in me now, so that the coming darkness of the dominion of Satan and unbelief does not overtake you. Ultimately, that, in tandem with God's hardening of the hearts of the Jewish people, in connection with them simply not wrapping their heads around this Jesus of Nazareth, being the Messiah, being the suffering servant, being God himself, and being salvation from their sins. But this can also be extended to any believer today. You have the opportunity to put your faith and trust for your salvation from your sin right now. You have that opportunity. The more you resist, the more the shouts of the world will become louder. The more the grip of Satan will tighten around you. The more you'll become deceived. And the more you'll lose this opportunity that God is extending to you right now to accept Jesus as your Savior and as your King. I'm speaking to both those of you sitting here this morning and those watching or listening to this online 
later. God has put followers of Jesus in your path. God has planted the seeds of his truth. And God has ripened your heart to bring you to this very point. Do not resist any longer. Do not straddle the fence any longer. Do not put it off any longer. The more you put surrendering yourself to Jesus, and the more you put it off to a later time, the greater risk you will lose the opportunity and the open window to do so. As Jesus says in verse 36, believe in the light while you still have God extending him out to you and you still have a ripened heart to receive it so that you may become sons and daughters of that light. Firstly, the more you put it off, the more you harden your heart back from where God had already ripened it. Secondly, you have no clue how much time you have left in this life. You could die walking out from this place today. You could die from a mass shooter targeting this church. You could die from choking on your lunch this afternoon. And then it's too late. You will face the judgment before the throne of God and condemned to the torment of the lake of fire for all of eternity. Do not let this opportunity pass you by right now. Beyond this immediate timing, there is coming a time most likely very soon, when Jesus will rescue his church out of the darkness of this world and set into motion the end times events this world is doomed to go through. The Antichrist will rise to power, establish a peace treaty claiming security for Israel, and initiate a seven-year time of indescribable death, disease, and judgment upon this earth as God pours out his wrath upon it in condemnation of its thousands of years of evil. About halfway through that seven years, God will remove his Holy Spirit from the world and in the Holy Spirit's place send a great delusion that will overtake everyone still living in the world who had not already given their hearts in repentance to Jesus before that point. That great delusion will make everyone else still living truly believe that the Antichrist is the Christ even as that man is indwelt by Satan himself and promoting every amount of evil to occur under the sun. If you have not repented of your sin and accepted Jesus as your Savior from that sin and living for him as king over the rest of your life, do not put it off any longer. God has been reaching out to you over the course of your life, time and time and time again. Take his hand before it's too late. At the end of verse 36, we read this. 
These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. As noted by one biblical scholar in his human pre-crucified and pre-resurrected body, God supernaturally took Jesus away from that point and transported him to another place. Perhaps it was because John, as John will reveal next, the people were already hardened at that point, would not and did not believe him, and would have immediately started throwing stones at him to kill him right then and there, but not in fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus was physically removed from these people's presence, and his last warning to them was this, don't let me be spiritually removed from you too. While you still have me for this short period of time, believe in me and become sons and daughters of the light before it's too late. Remember, Jesus answered the people that their hang-up, in reality, is not an intellectual one. It's a moral and it's a heart one. It's still the same today. As I've said over and over again lately, you might be sick of me saying it. In 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul reveals that God purposely created his way of salvation in Jesus to not make earthly sense to those whose spiritual eyes are never opened to see it. It doesn't matter how intellectual you are, how philosophical you are, or how intelligent you are. And we should not be surprised when the greatest minds today unabashedly proclaim their atheism. They've always missed the point. God never created his revealed wisdom to be found through humanly conventional ways. It was always a spiritual revelation, and it was always a solution to a moral problem. If you think you're morally good enough, no matter how smart you think you are, you've already missed the boat too. It's no wonder then that those who never see that they have a moral and cancerous sin problem riddling their entire bodies. They think they know better than God, better than his wisdom, and that wisdom as revealed in his word. In reality, as Jesus reveals in verse 35, all they're doing in their so-called higher thinking, progressivism, deconstructionalism, or general morality is fumbling around, having absolutely no clue where they're going and walking around in endless and absurd circles. We talked about the sheer ludicrousness of how the world explains its origin or how it comes up with its set of morals or what it sets up as goals to aspire to a couple weeks ago. According to Jesus himself, those in the world living and walking in the default of their darkened minds, as referenced by Romans 1, have no clue where they're going and will forever remain lost. That is how any of us would be if the light of the world did not break into our lives and break us out of that. 
But what we who have answered the call of God, listen to the churning of the Holy Spirit within us, drawing us to God, repenting of our sins, taking Jesus' death and resurrection as payment for our sin on our behalf, and surrendering the rest of our lives up to him as king. What we have is the light of the world himself. Amen? We have the light of the world who has shined into our hearts, opening our spiritual eyes to accept him for all of who he is. That light guarantees us of what we have to look forward to at the end of these dark days. We have the light of the world who has opened our spiritual eyes to read and understand the truths of God's word. We're not left to fumble around in the darkness like the unregenerate. We have been left with the light of God's truth and God's standard to found our lives and everyday decisions on. We have not been left to wonder what God wants us to do in any given situation, for God's word has already laid that out for us. And if we still don't know what to do, God's word tells us to just ask the light of wisdom directly, and he promises to give that answer to us. If we strive to base our lives and decisions on simply what God's word at face value commands, we can rest assured that we're walking in the light and are pleasing God with our lives. We have been given the light of the world through that light sending of the Holy Spirit of light who continually transforms our mindsets, what we think is important, what we fear, and the whole way we view the world around us to see all of those things and everything else the way God sees them and the way he wants us to be freed to see them. We have been given the treasure that the world simply doesn't understand cannot understand, cannot comprehend, and Satan cannot defeat the light of the world. Because of that, the darkness of sin, this world, or of the entire kingdom of Satan will not overcome us. We are the church of the light of the world, and the darkness cannot overcome it, defeat it, or crush it. We serve and fear the God who holds our eternity in his hands, not what any man can do to our bodies and earthly lives. So, brothers and sisters in Christ and the church of the light of the world, live in that light. Strive to be made into who that light is by offering yourself as a living sacrifice to God each and every day. Walk in the light of the truth of God's word, basing every decision on what has already been written in it for us. We have the light. We have the truth. We have the love of God. Let us live and walk in it. This same apostle, again filled with the movement of the Holy Spirit, will reiterate later on in 1 John, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. 
that God is light. It's that simple. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, here's the warning. If we say that we're a believer, if we say we're a Christian, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We're not pulling any punches here. We lie and do not practice the truth. Very blunt. You might need to hear that today. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And this is so beautiful. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just these few verses in John 12 that built upon what else has been written and recorded about who Jesus is as the light, the light of God and the light of the world, gives us so much treasure, gives us so much joy, gives us so much hope, such a solid foundation. I pray that if there's anybody here who's been dragging their feet, and maybe they've been doing it for years, maybe they've been doing it for decades, Maybe they, gave their, maybe they prayed a prayer when they were a kid and they've walked away from you for years and years and years and years. And you're bringing them the long way around. And you've been putting people in their path and you've been planting seeds of truth in their hearts and you've ripened their heart to this very point to just surrender their lives to you, repent of their sin, recognize and accept you as Savior and King. I pray they would do so right now because none of us have any clue how much time we have left in this life. This life is but a vapor, as your word says, and then it's eternity. And we will all, every single person who has ever been conceived, will live for eternity. It's just a matter of where that person will spend eternity. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who has not given their lives to you, pray they would do so right now and have the hope of eternity with you to finally look forward to. Lord, those of us who have repented of our sin, have taken you as Savior and King, and we meant it and we mean it every day the rest of our lives, I pray that we would remember and be renewed and be rejuvenated and strengthened with the hope and the joy and the truth and the strength and the power of all that it means that we have the light of the world. The darkness simply cannot understand it and the darkness cannot overcome it. I pray that we will live in the power of that light with each day. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.